And welcome to Tuesday on the Pure Opelka podcast. It is the Michigan primary day. Not too much to say about that, except we'll have more to say about it tomorrow. Expect Trump to win handily. Expect Biden to win handily. And there's going to be some protest votes on the Democrat side of things. So nothing really big expected, but I'll be looking for turnout because that might be an indicator, total turnout on both sides, to see if Michigan is in play, to see if Michigan may be a state that Donald Trump scores at the, uh, at the end of all of this. I know a lot of people are going, what, they're not the nominees yet. Okay, just relax, keep calm. It looks like both of them will be, even though it kind of feels like Joey's going to be pushed out. Maybe at the convention, maybe before. We shall see. We shall see. A lot to discuss today around the politics. We'll see what happens as the uh, top four members of the House, two Republicans, two Democrats, visit the White House in hopes of avoiding government shutdown. I just feel like uh, we know this. They're going to come up with a deal. Everybody's going to take credit. There won't be a shutdown And you and I will have to pay for whatever stupidity gets pushed across the finish line. I'm I'm tired of it. Really tired of it. Maybe I'm cranky because I'm I'm ticked off that my my favorite game show of all time went woke yesterday. I know, I know you're saying Jeopardy's been woke for a while. Now they've had some woke contestants. But I think they've gone woke. And they use preferred pronouns, whatever somebody wants. There was a woman who was on last week. And she appears to be a heterosexual because she talked about her boyfriend all the time. And then her pronouns were they, them. So Ken Jennings had to refer to her as they, which is just stupid. But yesterday during Single Jeopardy, there was a category called parts of speech. And, uh, well, this little seven second moment happened yesterday. Parts of speech six. Zem, Zers, Zemself. Chris. What are pronouns? Those are pronouns. Neo pronouns. You have. You might not be able to hear it. I recorded off my TV. The uh, neo pronouns. What the hell is a neo? No, we we don't have that. You you made that up. And I posted it minutes after it happened, and it was my biggest social media post of the day yesterday. A lot of people jumped in. Most people had the same reaction I did. There were a bunch of wokesters who went, oh, no, you're offended. Conservatives are... Yes, because this is stupid. There are only two pronouns. Only two. When you go to get a sex change, if you, you when you're an adult, you say, I want to change my sex, and you go to see Dr. Kachikakoff if you're a guy, and you're given options, you're only given two options. You're not given 98 it's just stupid. It's silly. I've gotten off track. I didn't even start the uh, this day in history either. Uh, let's uh, let's do a quick th- this day in history and then hit some of the clips. And then Jim Stovall has an incredible story that we have to talk about today. On this day back in the day in 1827, the great city of New Orleans held its first Mardi Gras celebration. I'll bet it's a lot different than the ones they just had. If you've ever been to Mardi Gras, you know what I'm talking about. It's a lot of fun. You should go. In 1860, on this day, Matthew Brady photographed 
presidential candidate Abraham Lincoln. On this day in 1879, saccharin is discovered, a sweetener, artificial sweetener. And from like 1975 to 2000, it was on the shelves of stores, but with a warning that it might cause cancer. And then 2000, the government said, no, no, that was wrong. We made a mistake. So you can use saccharin and not be worried about it causing cancer. It's kind of weird, isn't it? In 1900, on this date, Germany's Felix Hoffmann got a patent for one of the most amazing chemical compounds ever discovered. We call it aspirin. And my brother, Frank, who is a doctor, has said that had aspirin not been discovered, that when it was eventually discovered, it would be the most prescribed and most profitable medication ever. And I see over in the corner, the people from Viagra raising their hands going, I doubt it, I doubt it. Well, aspirin. Yes, it is. 1922, the Supreme Court defended women's voting rights. That was a good thing. 1935, six-year-old Shirley Temple got a special mini Oscar for all her work in all those films as a kid. 1980, I Will Survive won the first and last Grammy for Best Dance Record. Glad that didn't continue. And on this date in 1991, the coalition forces liberated Kuwait after seven months of Saddam Hussein marching in there and taking over. Kind of a crazy day yesterday. At the end of the day, there was a hazmat crew called to Donald Trump Jr.'s home after he received a death threat and a letter with white powder. And they had to go to his home in Florida and make sure it's so as far as I know, everybody's OK. Everybody's fine. We will see. Uh, a GOP member of the House has called on Kamala Harris to invoke the 25th Amendment on President Joe Biden. Why? Why? Well, his brain, it's just mush, you know. Joe Biden showed up on the Seth Meyers late night program, hasn't done any interview with any news organization but he made it to um, 30 Rock to sit down with Seth Myers, and it wasn't late at night. They record that stuff at like 5.30. So Joe still could get home in time to go to bed by 8. But it, it was all scripted, all rehearsed, and Joe still managed to make it a little bit of a mess. The American people are incredible. And we're the best, you know, I, I've told, I asked, I was asked by Xi Jinping yeah. uh, about what, when I was in the Tibetan mountains with him. And he said, can you define America for him? I said, yeah, one word, possibilities. Now, that line he's repeating now because he screwed it up when he was announcing the nomination of Ketenji Brown Jackson for the Supreme Court. When he said, but nobody envisions Joe Biden marching through the Tibetan mountains with Xi Jinping either. Uh, there was more, lest you think that was the only little weird moment. What do you, would you want to do? What's your 2024 agenda? Because I feel like we live in such crazy times that that is one of the things I feel we hear less about. Look, the 2020 agenda is to finish the job. Wait, the 2020 agenda was to finish the job? Really, sir? We hear less about. Look, the 2020 agenda is to finish the job. Hmm. Yeah, brain's not really working. They went out for ice cream because that's the thing. They think the uh, 
the media is going to eat that up the way Joe eats up the ice cream. And they're pretty right. The media loves it because they get to ask him, what kind of ice cream did you have? So they went out for ice cream. And the press was allowed to shout questions at their dear, confused leader. Say the North Koreans have dear leader. We have the dear, confused leader. Uh, here's the first one, the first question. Can you give us a sense of when you think that ceasefire will start, sir? Well, I hope by the, the beginning of the weekend. I mean, the end of the weekend. At least my, my, my national security advisor tells me that we're close. We're close. It's not done yet. And my hope is by next Monday, we'll have a ceasefire. Hmm. And the press shouts again, but he's talking about a possible ceasefire over in the Middle East. And as we're going on to record this, the folks at Hamas said, uh, no, no, that's not happening. You can pound sand, Israel. So it looks like there isn't going to be one. But the press kept shouting. And then they wanted to know about Joe going to the border on Thursday. Trump was already set to go to the border, but, you know, Biden likes to plagiarize even political campaigns. I've been planning to go Thursday. What I didn't know is uh, my good friend apparently is going. And will you meet with migrants while you're there, Mr. President? Well, I'm not going to announce ahead of time. Secret Service doesn't like me announcing exactly. It's so bizarre that he gets questions shouted at him and he continues licking the ice cream cone. Just really weird. And I don't understand it, but maybe I'm not supposed to. But he's talking about uh, the border and going to the border and... Uh, the reporters are saying, you know, why why are you doing that now? Well, he was asked last year about the border and, and why the border is such a mess under him. This is from last year. On the, on the border, why is the border more overwhelmed under your watch, Mr. President? Because there are three countries that are never have there are fewer there are fewer immigrants coming from Central America and from Mexico. Now he just said there are three countries that are well, there are fewer immigrants coming from Central America and Mexico. Why would that make it a mess? There's people coming from 160 countries across our southern border, but we'll let them continue. This is a totally different circumstance. What's on my watch now is Venezuela, yeah. Cuba, and Nicaragua. And China, and India, and Turkey, and just go down the list. Read the list of nations, the people that are coming here from all over the world, many of them military-aged males. It's um, disturbing. And the ability to send them back to those states uh -huh. is not rational. You could send them back and have them wait. We're working with Mexico and other countries to see if we can stop the flow. But that's the difference. Thank you. So it, it seems like he was saying that when we send people back to Venezuela... Venezuela doesn't want them. Hmm. So the Venezuelan who's currently the suspect in the murder of young Lake and Riley in Georgia, the guy who was arrested already and then released on bond because we're stupid, we, uh, we give the, the uh, people here illegally the opportunity to do whatever the hell they want over and over again, and then we're surprised when they kill people.
It's it's sickening. It really is sickening. And speaking of that terrible tragedy, California Congresswoman Katie Porter, she's a Democrat, and she's now running for the Senate, the Senate seat that Dianne Feinstein uh, used to occupy. That election is going to be held in 252 days or whatever it is now. Uh, Katie Porter, a particularly awful liberal, was talking about the tragedy of Lake and Riley and had this to say about making a policy decision based on a single tragedy. Hmm. This may be the dumbest thing I've heard her say, and she said a lot of dumb things. Well, I think when a horrible tragedy like like this happens, I think whenever we're dealing um, with violent crime, there is a sense of outrage, of sadness, and of loss. But I think the important thing to focus on is any one instance shouldn't shape our overall immigration policy. Hmm. So any one instance should not shape our overall immigration policy. How many cases of immigrants in this country illegally, I call them invaders, and the crimes they've committed against women, the assaults and the murders and the sexual assaults, uh, how many of those need to happen? You know, if you think about it, the killing of George Floyd ignited a major change in many policies in many cities and states in this country. So why can't the death of Larkin Riley change policy? She's not a smart person. Not even close to being smart. There is um, also this story out of Virginia where Winsome Sears, she's the lieutenant governor. She's incredible. I wish she could be a vice presidential candidate, but she was not born in this country. So unfortunately, she can't even be on the list, which we're now told includes Tulsi Gabbard and Christy Nome, who've both spent time at Mar-a-Lago. And why wouldn't you want to spend time with either one of those people? Why, why wouldn't you? I know. They're smart. They're attractive. You know, uh, Winsome Sears, again, lieutenant governor in Virginia. She presides over the state legislature. And there is a member of the state legislature who is a biological man, identifies as a female, calls themselves Danica. I'm guessing the birth name, given name was Daniel, but now they're Danica. And Winsome Sears misgendered this person. And that caused a big stinking deal. Check it out. The senator may state it. Madam President, how many votes will be would it take uh, to pass this bill with the emergency clause? That would be four-fifths, Senator. And what would be the exact number for that, uh, Madam President? Yes, sir. That would be 32. So Winsome Sears gave the answer. But if you noticed, Winsome Sears said, yes, sir, that would be 32. I don't think it was an intentional misgendering, but the Virginia Senate freaked out. They went into emergency recess. They wanted an apology from Winsome Sears. They would not go back to the business until they got an apology from the lieutenant governor. And she had some things to say about that. The question is, Shall the bill pass? Those in favor of that motion will record their votes aye. Those opposed, no. Are the senators ready to vote? Have all the senators... No, they weren't. I am not here to upset 
anyone. I am here to do the job that the people of Virginia have called me to do, and that is to treat everyone with respect and dignity. I myself have at times not been afforded that same respect and dignity. But in this body, and as long as I am president of the Senate, and by the grace of God, I will be treated with respect and dignity, and I will treat everyone else with respect and dignity. So Winsome Sears didn't apologize, and they're still mad about it. They, they walked out. They're very upset. Stop it. Stop the pronoun madness. I know it's starting to come back. The pendulum is swinging back, is it not? I, I think it is. Uh, yesterday, Dr. Phil showed up on The View. Dr. Phil has a book out now. We've got issues. And uh, he was talking to the ladies of The View, and the subject of kids in school, especially during the pandemic, came up. And I've never been a big Dr. Phil fan until yesterday. So you say you're not the only voice in your kids' ears, so you have to be the best voice. Mm -hmm. Explain that. Well, think about it. In like 08, 09, smartphones came on and, and kids started, they stopped living their lives and started watching people live their lives. Mm. And so we saw the biggest spike and the highest levels of depression, anxiety, loneliness, and suicidality since records have ever been kept. And it's just continued on and on and on. And then COVID hits 10 years later, and the same agencies that knew that are the agencies that shut down the schools for two years. Who does that? Who takes away the support system for these children? Who takes them away and shuts it down? And by the way, when they shut it down, they stopped the mandated reporters from being able to see children that were being abused and sexually molested and, in fact, sent them home and abandoned them to their abusers. Now, I, I think Dr. Phil is making great points here. First of all, he talks about losing kids to their, their phones. Get your head out of your phone. Go outside and play. Put down the phone. Put down the Xbox. But then he talked about how it was compounded by the pandemic. You can hear the harpies on The View getting a little upset in the background. It's almost like you can hear their engines idling, ready for him to stop talking so they can jump on him. But they don't know who they're dealing with. With no way to watch, and referrals drop 50 to 60%. So, there was also a pandemic yeah. going yeah, there on. Was, they were trying to save They were trying to save kids' well. lives. Remember, we know a lot of folks who died during this. So it wasn't, people weren't laying uh, around eating children. bond, but well, you know what? We're lucky. Maybe we're lucky they didn't because we kept them out of the, the, the places that they could be sick because no one wanted to believe we had an issue. Are you saying no school children died of COVID? I'm saying it was the safest group. They were the less vulnerable group and they suffered and will suffer more from the mismanagement of COVID than they will from the exposure to COVID. And that's not an opinion, that's a fact. Yeah. 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 They ran out of time and Whoopi had to throw to commercial. I love the audience reaction. Usually the audience sides with the harpies. This time they sided with science and the truth and not the craziness of the harpies. Yeah, that was good.
That was very good. Thank you, Dr. Phil. Happy you're back, sir. Uh, what do we got here? Oh, Jim Stovall is joining us. That's right. Time for a little winner's wisdom. And uh, after Jim, I have to share with you something I saw on CBS News on Sunday morning. The craziest thing, a uh, piece on uh, Rod Stewart, who's got a new album out and he's like 80,000 years old. But he insulted the reporter and kind of laughed it off. But it's a brutal insult. We'll get to that. We'll get to that right after we get Jim Stovall in here. Uh, Jim Stovall, the man who's written more than 50 books. He is the guy behind the Narrative Television Network. He speaks all over the world, sometimes in person, sometimes via Zoom, whatever it is. But he also writes a Winner's Wisdom column every week. And it is in uh, newspapers all over the country and all over the world and on the Internet. And if you go to JimStovall.com, you can download it. It'll come into your inbox every week for free as well. And he's here with us. We talk about it. Jim Stovall, welcome back, my friend. Well, it is always good. The high point of my week here every week with you. Hold on a second. Will you, will you say that one more time? The, the, the absolute high point of my week. I, I've got to be high to be on this show, I, I have to say. But, uh, that's the truth detector, Bell. I, I'm sorry, it's you, you're pegging the meter here, Jim. We've got questions on this one. <laughs> I understand. Uh, I, I love reading the Winner's Wisdom column because I learn stuff that I should know, but I also learn stuff about Jim Stovall. And this week's column about this amazing letter and the it's the punctuation, the period on a relationship you had with an amazing individual as well. Let's talk about this week's column. Well, it's called A Letter from a Legend. And uh, uh, last year I turned 65, and my bride, Crystal, had a huge celebration for uh, that, uh, uh, reminiscent of the uh, Limburg Parade, I think it was. <laughs> uh, and a lot of our friends and family came in. And then we had a few uh, notable people that could not travel and make it, so... Uh, we asked them to write letters and, uh, and, you know, got a letter from Steve Forbes and Jack Nicholas and Louis Gossett and just wonderful people that we've worked with in movies and on the road and things. And then a letter came in from the amazing Tony Bennett. And it's, it, it goes back 30 years. I, I was just starting narrative television and I was trying to get interviews with anybody that would attract people to our programming. And so I'd interviewed Catherine Hepburn and Jimmy Stewart and Frank Sinatra and Michael Douglas, and we were in New York looking for people to interview, and someone told us that uh, uh, Tony Bennett was doing a, a Christmas special over at Radio City Music Hall. They were taping it, and uh, if we would go over there and wait, we might get an interview. So we go, and we wait, and we wait, and uh, several hours, and we were just about to give up, and then he comes over and said, uh, Sorry for the wait. I'm Tony Bennett, like we didn't know who he was. <laughs> and uh, he said, uh, he said, could you do whatever you, we need done here in 20 minutes? I said, absolutely. So as they're getting the lights and the microphones clipped on and everything, I just small talk. I say, well, this is quite a birthday present. And he said, why is it a birthday present for me to be on your show? And I said, no, it's, it's, it's my birthday, sir. He said, no, it's, it's my birthday. And then we realized we have the <laughs> same birthday. Well, from that year forward, for the next 30-plus uh, years, every year we would exchange cards and notes, and it was just kind of our little thing. And But then this last summer, you know, we'd requested a letter to, to be read aloud at the party, 
And then at the end of that week, he tragically passed away. Mm. And we thought, well, that that's uh, sad. And we'd well, two days later in the mail comes a letter from Tony Bennett that had already been mailed oh, wow. prior to his passing. And he had written, Dear Jim, it's wonderful and marvelous ever since we met and realized we shared our special day. And many years ago, I left my heart in San Francisco, but on our special day, it'll be with you and your friends as you celebrate. So as I approach 97 and you approach 65, be well and keep smiling, Tony Bennett. And, you know, we were kind of in shock standing there with this letter that uh, he had written and then he passed away. And, And then I thought, wow, can we share this? You know, I didn't want to be morbid, but we made a whole thing out of it. We played Tony Bennett music at the party and shared that and it was just a great thing and then i debated whether or not should i put this in a column or not but i thought it was so profound and and you know after a life almost a century long and doing all the things he does he has the best advice which is just simply keep smiling there's a great song the uh, secret of life is enjoying the passage of time and uh, Guys, if we're not having a good time here, if we're not smiling and having fun, we're missing the boat, because that's what we're here for, just to enjoy this experience. And uh, he was just such an artist, such an amazing, amazing guy. And, you know, near the end, he he was having trouble with his memory, but what was so amazing about him, he could go on stage and sing those songs he'd been singing his whole life. And, he, you know, he may not have remembered what he had for breakfast today, but he, he could do the Cole Porter songs. And uh, and he was just truly amazing. And uh, uh, just a month or so before he passed, he did a, a concert there at Radio City Music Hall with Lady Gaga. And uh, and she talked about how, you know, she wasn't sure he was going to make it through. And he was a, a 10 out of 10. He, he was solid. And it was just, you know, wonderful people. And, uh, you know, I remember asking him one time, what do you want people to remember about you? What do you want people to think about Tony Bennett? And he, he said, you know, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a brain surgeon. I'm not a rocket scientist. I sing songs. And I'd like people to say, hey, he sang a pretty good song, have a dance, smile a little, and uh, just enjoy it. And that's what he was about. I, I'm just sitting here grinning from ear to ear with the story and the message. Both are just so great and so inspirational. And that that final message from Tony Bennett, which may have been, Jim, considering the proximity of um, the his death, his passing, and when that letter was written, that may have been one of the last things he wrote, one of his last pieces of correspondence. But to just say, keep smiling. What a great message. What a great, yeah. simple message to share. Yeah, I, I somehow there's going to have to be a new uh, tradition every year on my birthday. I'm going to have to do something. Uh, uh, you know, I don't know whether I'll send something to his family or or something, but uh, there will definitely be Tony Bennett music involved. I think that's a great idea to keep that the memory alive, to keep the tradition alive, and to keep the idea of of Tony Bennett's message alive. You know, I I never got to meet the guy i never got to see him perform live but i've seen his performances on television and you always got the idea at least i did that he was just a normal guy and now you've kind of cemented that thought in my head that even though he had all this success in his heart he was just a simple guy 
with a great voice and, and hoping that other people would appreciate it. Well, one quick story. He played a concert here in my hometown, uh, oh, probably uh, uh, 15 years after we met. And he called, and, uh, you know, I came to the show and everything, but uh, the, the promoter said, wow, we're having a trouble. It's prom week, and we can't get a car and driver for Tony. And I said, <laughs> well, I got, I got one. He can use mine. So I send my guy Michael out to the airport to get Tony Bennett, and here he comes, and, you know, it's a, it's a limousine. And first, Michael says, uh, sir, do you have luggage? No, I don't have luggage. And he had these giant trunks they would ship to the venue, and he had several sets of these, so he didn't even worry about it. But then, you know, Michael grabs the door, and Mr. Bennett says, if it's all the same to you, I'd rather sit up front with you. And, you know, they talk just like two buddies driving in from the airport, you know, and he just, he just, uh, you know, why right in the back back there by myself? And Michael thought that was, he said, I've never had anybody do that. And he said, thankfully, I'd cleaned the front of the car because, um, <laughs> you know, he said, that's where all the garbage goes is over there because I don't have to worry about it. But, uh, wow. you know, he just, yeah, very much a normal guy, very much a normal guy. And it doesn't and, surprise me that two normal guys with great success would be friends for 30 years, and that would extend for such a long time. What a great story, great column. Jim Stovall's Winner's Wisdom column is available to you online every week. You just go to jimstovall.com, and if you sign up, it'll show up in your inbox, and it's free. And then you hang out with us, and, and we kind of break it down and share some stories. Jim, uh, a bladed happy 65th, and fantastic memory. Thank you for sharing. Well, thank you, and I look forward to our next time together. And there he goes. And before I get out of here today, reminder, we'll be back with full results and analysis of the Michigan primary tomorrow. And Dr. Roizen should be with us for Wellness Wednesday. He was on the golf course last week, and we missed him. Go to puropelka.com and find out where I'm going to be, because tomorrow, 5 to 8 p.m., I'm on the air in uh, Fort Myers, Naples, 5 to 8 p.m. Wednesday, and then Friday again, doing some radio. I will share it with you. But I have this Rod Stewart clip I have to play for you. CBS Sunday Morning does these profile pieces, and they spent time with the 80-year-old Rod Stewart, who now has yet another career. He's putting out albums of swing music. And it seems like he's having a good time. He's selling tickets, so why not? And they, they went with Rod Stewart and showed us his model train collection, his setup. He and Jules Holland are both into trains. But at the very end of the report, it's about a nine-minute report, near the very end, Rod Stewart's out in front of his castle. Yes, he has a castle. Of course he does, because he's Sir Rod Stewart now, right? Yeah, he is. And um, he was showing off his very expensive exotic cars. He's got a Ferrari, he's got a Lamborghini, and he's talking about them. And he got a real shot in on the uh, reporter from CBS. So I paid four and a half million pounds. Four and a half million pounds worth and they of are, They're actually going now for seven and eight million. Rod now lives on his English country estate with his family, his Ferrari, and his Lamborghini. Now, people may think it's mad spending that money on a car, but it's a great investment. It's like buying a house that moves. 
when, when you buy a car, it's like buying a house. When the rest of us buy a car, it's like buying I know, a car. I've been very lucky, but then I've got an amazing talent and you haven't. That's right. I've been very lucky and I've got an amazing talent that you haven't. <laughs> Ouch, Rod Stewart with a mic drop moment. <laughs> well done, Rod Stewart. Well done. Uh, till tomorrow with Dr. Royzen, Wellness Wednesday, and the results from the Michigan primary. Testudo, my friends. Testudo.